can turn to not the book of John this morning. You would turn to the book of Luke um, as I was preparing for the next few weeks. Uh, I decided, and the Lord gave me a piece about uh, just taking a small break from the book of John for about four weeks or so. We have four Sundays before Christmas, and we are going to set aside these next four weeks to just uh, set our minds toward Christ so as, through a specific theme. And we can still do that through the book of John, but it may help us to take a little bit of uh, a break from it and then come back to it. Uh, refreshed in a different way. Uh, for those of us type A people, it's really probably going to bother you for four weeks that we stopped in the middle of a chapter. So uh, we will come back and finish those last 15 so verses of John 12 and then move on from that if we have the opportunity from there. And uh, But for a few weeks, we're going to look at a few particular things and most of it will be from the book of Luke, familiar passage to us at this Christmas time. And so we'll be there in just a moment. I do need to correct myself. I read uh, the concert for the school was at 7 o'clock. If you come at 7, you will be 30 minutes late. So uh, it is at 6.30. Everything the next few weeks, we moved our pie and praise to 7, and our Christmas service will be at 7, and on New Year's night we'll meet at 7. But this week for our Christmas concert, we will meet at 6.30 uh, for that in the auditorium. So uh, lest I get blamed for uh, someone coming in. For the conclusion of that, uh, you come at 6.30 uh, for that as well. All right, you're there in Luke chapter 1. We'll be there in just a moment, but I kind of want to just introduce our thoughts and our minds uh, for a few minutes as we have kind of prepared for this particular uh, season, this Christmas uh, season. Uh, what are some things that sort of signal the start of Christmas? You can holler one out if you can think of one. What, what is it that all of it, you, have you never noticed no one starts Christmas? Like there's no presidential uh, decree uh, or uh, no bill signed by any of those in office. It just kind of happens. Like you just look one day and all of a sudden Christmas is coming and it's here. But what are some things that you notice that we may see or hear or whatever it may be that uh, kind of signifies Christmas season at least has started what do you think any ideas what was it lights and what else day after thanksgiving right and some of us are just ready to move on day after Thanksgiving kind of signifies thanksgiving is over and now christmas season has started we think of lights decorations right we, we see those in here uh you think of commercials start to change and uh, you see commercials for puppies or for dogs or for trucks or trucks and puppies. Maybe you've seen that one this week and uh, whatever it may be. Um, I was thinking that one was interesting and there is a commercial where the husband buys a wife a dog and the wife buys the husband a truck and I'm not sure how uh, that ends up being equal but we kind of think, uh, we kind of think through our Christmas season starts with some different things and you think about light and think about kind of the picture that Christ reverses things. If you think about Christmas and our Advent season, you have kind of a little article there in your bulletin you can read sometime about kind of an Advent season. Advent simply means a, a coming, especially after uh, a, a time of waiting. And so when we think about Christmas, we try to put ourselves in the minds of the people that were waiting for Christ, that had been promised for thousands of years that the Messiah was going to come. And then there was 
400 years where God did not speak directly to his people, verbally or through uh, prophets or uh, priests in that way. And there's this 400 kind of years of what we would kind of, you want to picture it as darkness. And then John speaks that when Christ came into the world, that he was the light that came into the world. and says, and the darkness could not comprehend or could not overcome the light that had come into the world. And Christ pictures light coming through the darkness. But in reality, if we think about the time of year that we are, that we get to celebrate Christmas at least, it is more light going to darkness. If you're thinking about the winter time, it, our days are shorter. Uh, about Christmas time, it feels like it's dark at about 1.30 in the afternoon is what it feels like. You wake up, you take a nap, and then you just keep sleeping because it's dark already. And so uh, that's just, just kind of the way that Naturally, it works this time of year. Uh, crops are kind of done, if you want to think about it that way. Crops are kind of finished, and uh, you're just kind of using what you have. In, in the olden days, at least, we'll just go to Kroger. But uh, you, just use, you just use what you had, and it's just sort of a time of if we can just make it through. But it's a nice picture of what Christ is, that He is light come through the darkness. And you see it all over advertisements that there's Christmas light and the darkness has ended and all these different things that come through. And it's a picture that Christ has. But another thing that kind of signals the start of the Christmas season, at least for some of us that don't start in uh, June or July, is songs. Uh, Christmas music, if you want to think about it that way. Now, we probably all have preferences or differences on what we think makes a good Christmas song. And there are some good Christmas secular songs that remind us of family and the time that we celebrate. And there are some great Christian Christmas songs. You think about the ones that we even sang this morning. Come, let us adore Him. The, the, the worship style that that brings in our hearts. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And the feeling of angst that that builds. But then that He has come and that He is here. We sang joy to the world. And we think of these Christmas songs. And we all have those Christmas songs that we never want to hear uh, that get stuck in our minds. There are stores. I have left stores before when a song comes on because I don't want it in my mind all day long. So I'll, I'll walk out, wait till it's done, and then come back in. That's how much I don't like certain Christmas songs about, well, anyway, we'll move on from there. But we think about Christmas songs. And for the next four weeks, what I'd like to do, did you know that there's actually some Christmas songs from the Bible? that God has already given us. They are not typically ones that uh, are put to music or sung, but they are songs, they are declarations uh, in, in a poetry form that are given to us from four different people or groups of people all throughout Scripture that are sung. Some of them are sung before Jesus is born in preparation for it. Some of them are sung sort of uh, in the time of His birth. You think of the angels' song. It was literally as Christ is born, they are singing of His glory. And then there are some that are sung after that. And so we're going to take four weeks and look at these four Christmas songs and sort of prepare our hearts for this Christmas season. And you know that we don't, uh, you know, in our minds, kind of, you ever notice about music, that Christmas music at least, it's like December 26th, at least for the most, most people just kind of stop. It's not in stores anymore, it goes back to normal, you don't hear it in elevators or at gas stations, it just kind of ends and it's over. But in our lives as Christian believers, the songs or the spirit of that Christmas does not end. 
And not in the sense that it means you have to sing joy to the world all through January until next December, though that's fine too. But what I mean by that is God has given us, and this is kind of what's in your bulletin there, God has given us a new advent or a new time of waiting. We try to place ourselves in the minds of these people that were waiting for Christ to come as the newborn Messiah. We try to put ourselves in that position, not hearing from God for 400 years and the darkness and the Roman Empire that is kind of holding them oppressed and they can't do things the way that they want. They're, as a people and as Jews, they are waiting for this promised Messiah. And Really, the world, though they didn't realize it, was waiting for this coming Messiah. And now we wait again. Our Advent is slightly different than what they experienced. They did not know what Jesus was going to look like, what he was going to act like. They didn't know the details of the timing or the person. They just had some of these prophecies. But now we know. They didn't even know exactly what their salvation was going to look like. What was it going to mean to trust in Christ and, or this Messiah and live after him? They, they were looking for physical things, but Jesus coming to set up a spiritual kingdom. But now we wait in a different sort of Advent. We kind of wait for our coming Christmas, if you want to look at it that way, because there will come a time where we no longer celebrate the coming of Christ in the first, but we will celebrate that Jesus came again and returned to this earth and took us away to celebrate forevermore in a new Advent and in a new coming. And so when we celebrate Christmas, it is not just to take our minds back for one month and think about what it was like to wait for Christ to come as a baby. But now we in turn have a new and joyful Advent in which we wait for Christ to return again. And so as we enter this, our hope is different than the rest of the world. Our hope is different than the commercials. Our hope is different than all the things that you may see on TV and all the Hallmark movies and all the songs because we have something we're waiting for past December 25th. We have a Savior. And so this morning and for the next few weeks, I'd like to look at these songs that the Bible gives us, these Christmas songs and what they're trying to teach us. Before we look at our first one, you're there in Luke, hopefully uh, look there to chapter number one, and we'll just look at the first four verses for just a moment to kind of set ourselves in the mindset or the context. Luke, it's interesting that Luke is the book that includes these songs because Luke is kind of a no-nonsense kind of guy if you want to think about it that way. He is Give me the facts, because he's a, he's a medical doctor, he's a physician. He pays attention to the minute details. If you read the book of Luke, and then read through the book of Acts, which he also wrote, there is so much detail in it, and it is just fact after fact, and he just states it this way. It's kind of like, you know, your doctor. They just, sometimes they come in and they just state it. They're, they don't necessarily give you the background of everything that could possibly come from this, or uh, that who, who invented this heart instrument that we're working. It's just, poof, here, here it is, okay? They're not uh, romantics for the most part. And so Luke, it is interesting that he's the one that gives us these songs, because he's not just giving them for our emotion's sake. He is giving them as a form of truth. Look at verse number one of Luke chapter one, if you would says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. Very simply, he says, there's a lot of people that have tried to write down and summarize what happened to us through the life of Jesus Christ. 
And then in verse number two, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect or complete understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. So he's writing to this particular man. We're not sure if he's extremely young or old, but it's someone, we don't know if he's not converted or converted, it seems as though he's writing it to assure the belief at this point of a believer named Theophilus. And he says, I'm going to write these things out. I have a complete understanding. I was there with Christ, is what Luke is saying. You say, well, how does he know the details of his birth? And uh, the Holy Spirit, of course, laid those things on Luke's heart and put them into his mind for us as well. Look at verse number four. It said, why does he do this? Why is he writing to Theophilus? Why is he writing to us in Scripture? Look at verse 4. That thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. He says, I'm writing. You already know these things. You've already been taught them. I'm writing to help confirm them in your mind. And so he says, what details I give you in this book are there so that you will believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and Savior of the world. And so it is interesting that he gives to us then a song. And he very clearly wants to just report facts, staggering facts. He's a historian. He wants to provide a sufficient basis about these things. He wants us to know with absolute certainty who Jesus really is. And as our minds as Christians, we should want the same thing. We should want to be have confirmation in our hearts. We should want our belief and our faith to grow stronger each and every day. Our confidence, we should want it to grow. We should ask God to help it to grow because there is a lost and dying world around us that is so confused by the darkness of this world that needs the coming light of Christ. And God has given us even just an opportunity like Christmas to be able to be confident in our Savior and to portray that to a dark and lost world and then in turn proclaim who Jesus really is. What do you think when you think about Jesus? What do you think when you think about Christ? Do you have confidence? Do you have faith? Do you have belief. There's a story, well it's not a story, there's a time where on, uh, if this is before my time, uh, the Dick Cavett show uh, at some point, some of you may have remembered that at different points, but there was a time where the Archbishop of Canterbury, who may believe his own thing, and Jane Fonda were on there. I'm not sure how they got those two on the same show, but it's kind of a famous quote. He looks to her and he says, the archbishop does, and he says, Jane, Jesus is the Son of God. And she says, well, he may be the Son of God for you, but he isn't the Son of God for me. To which the archbishop replied, Jane, either he is or he isn't. In our minds today, our world says, well, he could be for you, but he's not for me. And our job as Christians is to portray the light of Christ in a way where it is undeniable that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Because you can't be iffy on those things. So what do you think when you think of God? What do you think when you think of Christ? Some of us have thoughts of Him being uh, distant or being everywhere or being close or loving. Some people in the world think of Him as angry or fluffy or we may think of Him as faithful. We may base our feelings on an internal hunch, what our spirit may think or a feeling that we may have or a family member that has taught us or what one book or smart author wrote in. Let me take a moment to say, we must be careful 
where we form our opinions of God from, who we let form our opinions of God. First and foremost must come from His Word. And so how do we think about these things? How do we know that we have them right? And we're going to take these four songs over the next few weeks and hopefully just use them or let God use them to confirm in our hearts who Jesus is and who He can be to us in this world. The first song that we're going to look at is Mary's song. It's very fitting, she being the mother of the one that would be the Son of God and the Son of Man. Look, if you would, in verse number 34. Mary has just been told that she is going to uh, bear the Christ child. And she has just been told, really, verses 31, that she is told that uh, she's going to call his name Jesus. In verse 32, he shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Can you imagine being told your child, like guaranteed, uh, the FBI shows up on your doorstep, right? To, you know, a, a week or a few months before uh, you're going to have a baby, and they knock on the door and say, the baby that you're carrying, we have chosen him to be the next, or to eventually be the President of the United States of America. It's already set. It's already set in stone. We're going to nurture and care for him. He will be, she will be this great thing. Imagine the overwhelming feeling, though, far more than the President of the United States. Mary is told, your child will be the Son of God. And she is blown away by, how could this be? Verse 34, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she, shall, she hath also conceived a son of her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren for with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So she has this submissive spirit, but imagine the feelings that she had at that point. Was there excitement? Now she's engaged to be married, remember. And she must, in some way, at least love, deeply love Joseph. And so she must have mixed feelings about this. I am greeted by this angel I'm going to have a son. I'm going to have a child. The dream of many different young girls at this point to grow up and be a mother. I'm going to have a son. But the son is not going to be from Joseph. The son is going to be from God. And what is Joseph going to think? What are others going to think? The son of God is, what does that mean? What is he going to do on this earth? He's going to be great. And her emotions are filled. And there's so much to this story or to this part of the story that is ordinary, and then other parts that are extraordinary. Some parts that are very natural, a woman having a son, and then some parts that are supernatural, the son being from God. Some parts that are natural, notice what Mary does very naturally in the next verse, verse 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted, that just means she greeted, Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard uh, the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. So it is normal to, fit, to feel a child kick within the womb, right? We have uh, seen that, or you uh, maybe have felt that or experienced it yourself, and that is normal. 
But for a child to leap and move and jump at the greeting or the sound of one other baby is not normal. There's this supernatural feeling. In an ordinary act, Mary, so excited, goes to speak to this one, her family member, to talk about it. Like many of us do when we receive exciting news, she just wants to speak. And she does, and she goes and she talks through this with Elizabeth. And uh, there's, again, in verse 44, the baby leaped in the womb for, or it mentions that she leaped in the baby leaped in the womb for joy. Look at verse 45, and blessed is she that believed, for there shall be performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Now, look at verse 46. Mary has had a chance to sort of process some of this. She is told, you're going to have the Son of God. He is going to be your child. You're still going to marry Joseph. You're still going to live a life that way. You're still going to raise this child as a normal family. And your, your cousin here has also conceived, and she's going to bear a son. That son's going to foretell of the coming of this Messiah. And she's trying to process it all. She's gone and she's talked to Elizabeth, and they have had a, a moment to sort of try to put all these things together in her mind. And what does Mary say about the coming of this Lord? It's interesting, she doesn't really sing much about herself. This is not, her song is not really a biography of her own life. How could this poor maiden be this uh, one that bears the Son? It's not really about her in just a very small moment. She sings about her God. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid. For behold, from, whence, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done, done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent, sent empty away. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. And so as Mary sings this song, what does it mean for us? What did it mean for Mary? Why did she write it in this way? Why did she sing it? In this way, it's interesting that in the moment, an emotional moment, have you ever noticed that certain times and certain moments push certain things out of our lives? We've all heard that illustration or seen the illustration maybe of a, a tea bag and what is ever is inside the tea bag when it is placed into water, especially into hotter, warm water, whatever is inside then emits or comes out and you can't change it. You don't put a tea bag into a certain type of hot water and it becomes coffee. It's tea because that is what is in it. You don't put a tea bag in and it comes out Kool-Aid. Whatever is inside comes out as it is placed in those circumstances. And it's notable that when Mary is placed into an emotional circumstance of life, she has just told, you're going to have a child. Not, and you know the emotion that you may feel or sense when you have been told or your wife has been told, you're going to have a child, you're expecting a child. The emotion that comes with that. And then she's told that, but not just that, but that it's going to be the Son of God. And so she has these emotions with her. And what is Joseph going to think? And out of her, when she is pressed in that moment, comes a song of praise for God. 
And particularly, she quotes several different, uses phrases and quotes several different psalms and portions of Scripture in her song. So in a pressure-filled moment, what comes out of Mary? God's Word and praise for God. And let me ask you this, when you have a pressure-filled moment, some of us are going to have pressure-filled moments in the next month, whether it is from being with a busyness of family, uh, preparing for the holiday, getting all these things worked out and the stress of all the logistics or traveling or what it may be. You may have year-end deadlines at work and there's going to be stress in your life. But when you are pushed and pressed, what comes out of your heart? You say, well, as Christians, sometimes we may sound off or we may say something mean or say something uh, angrily, or we may uh, say something of our own feelings and our own desires. And then we say, well, that's not really me. That's not what I think. It's just the moment got to me. No, it is what we are, and it is what we think. And the moment simply revealed that. And so as we enter this holiday season, what are we going to show to the world when pressed by the busyness of the moment? Will songs of praise and God's Word come out of our hearts and off of our lips like it did from Mary. What does Mary's song say? We're going to look very simply at two different things Mary says about God, and we'll wrap up a very simple message and thought this morning. It's interesting that Mary says, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Her first phrase is not, wow, how special am I? And though she realizes that God has chosen her in a special way, she says, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. Imagine, immediately she's told, you're going to bear the Savior of the world. But immediately she sort of submits to that very Savior. I praise the very child that I'm going to bring forth. She didn't regard her own estate or who she was. But she tells us two very interesting truths, and we find them in verse 48, verse 49. And let's look at them and see how we can apply them to our lives this morning. Verse 48, it says, what does she tell us of her God? It says, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid, for, behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Underline or circle that word very simply, regarded. What's the first thing that she says about She says, I magnify the Lord. I rejoice in my Savior. Well, what do you rejoice about, Mary? What do you think is so great about your God? And the first thing that she says is, for he hath regarded me regarded me as his handmaid. That word regarded, very simply, it's, it's an emotional but intellectual way of thinking. Very simply, it means he is mindful of me. He thinks of me. God has thought about me. And that blows Mary away in the sense that he has thought enough of her, thinks of her, and now lets her bear his son. But she's blown away by the very thought that God thinks of me. He is mindful of me. You can write that down as number one this morning, that God is mindful of us. God has been mindful of us in the way that He has been mindful of Mary. She says of herself, she says, I am just a handmaid. And the world would have looked at her as unmarried, young, uh, untalented, maybe in a way, not someone. She didn't have prestige or power or any sort of uh, special popularity. She may have looked at herself as just normal, and the world would have looked at Mary as just a normal person, a normal maiden. You've heard that phrase that value is in the eye of the beauty is in the eye of the beholder, or value is in the eye of the one that is beholding or wants to take it on, and it's a wonderful thing 
that our value is not based on who we are or what we do. It's based on how our God views us. And Mary looks to this and she praises God. She says, I don't think anything special of myself. I'm just a handmaid of low estate. God has regarded me. God is mindful of me. And he looks at me. And for some reason, God has found favor on me. And we can think the same thing. Mary says, I praise God that he is mindful of me. We should praise God that he is mindful and has been mindful of us. Have you ever thought about the fact God thinks about you? Like God has thought your name. God has thought about your life. He has thought about what you do. He has thought about what you feel. He has thought about what you suffer. He has thought about what you enjoy. He thinks about what you like. He thinks about what you don't like. He thinks about how he created you. He thinks about what he created you to be. God is mindful of you. He is mindful of me. And when we think about that, what does that press out of us? It should press praise from our heart and life. For the next few weeks, we're going to be singing Christmas songs, and they shouldn't be songs that just wash over us and make us feel special for a few moments, like Jingle Bells or Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. There may be places for those things, but as we sing Joy to the World, He rules the world in truth and grace, and though He rules this world in truth and grace, He has still thought of me. And he thought enough of me. Notice what it says. In, again, go back and look at verse 47. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. It says, and he has regarded me, and from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. And we still would call Mary blessed, not because of any special power of her own, but because she bore the Son of God. And it's interesting that when God thought of Mary... He gave her, if you want to think about it that way, He gave her the Messiah, the Son of God. Well, what has God given us in thinking about us? God thinks and He's mindful of our need. He's mindful of our sin. He's mindful of the consequences that we deserve for our sin. He's mindful of the destruction and the judgment that is to come because of our sin. And in being mindful of those things, He doesn't just send us riches to fix our fiscal problems. He doesn't just send us provisions to take care of our physical needs. He doesn't just send us health so that while we're on earth, we feel good or live a normal life. He doesn't just send us things. He doesn't just fix our problems. He fixed the problem by sending us Jesus Christ. And though He is mindful of everything that is going on in our lives, He's mindful of all of our physical needs. He's mindful of every sorrow. He is mindful of everything that we have ever suffered. And being mindful of that, just like Mary, His answer was the Son of God. His answer is Jesus Christ. When we think about the fact that God is mindful of us, what does it invoke? What praise does it bring? He is mindful of the whole world, but He's mindful of us as individuals. He will live out that promise, and He has lived out that promise through His Son and will as He comes again. And in being mindful of us, let's emphasize it one more time, He sent His Son. He is mindful and He's personally involved with our humanity. Get this, He has promised to make blessing or fulfillment or security available to all peoples on earth, but He does it through His greatness in His intimacy with us. 
It is not that He's mindful of us and then He proves His mightiness through showing us some powerful act, but He showed it by coming to us personally. Have you ever thought about that? God could have blown the earth to smithereens and taken us away and given us a brand new earth. Maybe that's how we think that, that would be better. Let's get you off of this sinful, broken earth and poof, just vaporize it and start something new. Let me show you how great I am by proving my difference from you, though God is different and elevated from us in His nature and in His spirit. But in proving His mindfulness of us, He came to us. His answer was to be personally involved with us. And the greatness of God is not revealed in His isolation from us. The greatness of God is revealed in His intimacy with us. Let me read that one more time. The greatness of God is not revealed in His isolation from us, but the greatness of God is revealed in His intimacy with us. And that leads us to the final part of the final verse this morning. What else does she praise him for? Here's the two things that Mary thinks. He is mindful of me. And then verse 49, For he that is mighty hath done great things, and holy, to, and holy is his name. So he says, He is mindful of me, and he is mighty. That's what she sings of God. Now here's the importance of this. It doesn't matter if he's mindful of her, if he's not mighty. We are mindful of a lot of people on this earth. I am mindful of people that suffer in deep poverty or despair. I am mindful of people that suffer from some horrible disease. I am mindful of the things that are going on throughout this world and the warfare and the fighting and the unnecessary death all throughout this world. I'm mindful of those things, but I am not mighty enough to change any of them. And so just being mindful is not enough. Mary goes on and praises and says, He is mindful of me, but he's also mighty over me. And that's the difference between Jesus in a manger. Oh, how thoughtful and how caring. We see nativity scenes all over. It's another sign that sort of the Christmas scene or the Christmas uh, season has begun. And we see this nativity. And when we see a nativity, we think, oh, that is sweet, Jesus in a manger. But what God really wants us to see is God in a manger come to this earth to suffer the wrath and the judgment of God. And though he did not deserve death, to suffer it for us, perfect and sinless. Though he is mindful, he's more than that, he is mighty. He's the only one that could take the sins of the world. He's the only one that could bring light into darkness. He's the only one that could conquer death. And in being mindful, he took his mightiness and conquered sin and death for us and has given us that gospel of grace. And so our nativity scene is far different from most of those in this world. Our songs at Christmas should be, our spirit, our mindset should be far different than the rest of the world because it is not just, oh, this is a sweet and mindful thing. It is that Jesus is an almighty God that came to earth to work these things over us. That God is mighty. And so how does that change her life? She is submissive to Him. Look at verse 50. Uh, 49 and 50 says he has done great things. What is this mighty thing that he does? His, verse 50 says it's his mercy. In his mightiness he shows mercy on them that fear him from generation to generation. It says he has showed his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. God does not work the way that we think things work. 
Just because you're mighty, just because you're rich, just because you're wealthy, just because you have power does not mean that you have ultimate power. It does not mean that you have ultimate peace. It does not mean that you have all provision. You are still futile and in need of a holy and righteous, mindful and mighty God. Notice verse 53. What else does he do in his mindness? He hath filled the hungry with good things. Let's stop there for just a moment. We thought Wednesday night when we went through Psalm 103, remember that phrase that was very similar to this? It says he has filled their mouth with good things. It's not saying he literally has given them food because the very first verse of Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And he says, You have filled thy mouth with good things. So he's saying you've filled your mouth with praise and with good things beyond just the physical. He says he has filled the hungry. What does he mean by the hungry? Is he just speaking of those that are physically hungry? He's saying, no, those that have a deep need and longing. They sense that this world is not all that there is. He says those that are hungry, those that are looking, those that are longing, those that realize that this world is not their eternal home that realize death brings an end to all of these things and what we try to gather actually is meaningless and will all be left behind those that are hungry in that way spiritually god has filled them with good things he has provided his son it says in the rich he has sent away empty you can be rich in this world you can get everything you want for christmas and be empty you can get everything, you can give everything you want to give. You can provide the most amazing Christmas season for your family that has ever been given. And it will leave you and it will leave your family empty inside if that's where your trust and faith really is. Where do you look for satisfaction? I, I've noticed these last <clears throat> few years, uh, you know, you hear people say this all the time, Christmas season seems to go faster. When you're young, it feels like it's forever. In a good and a bad way. It's forever until Christmas morning presents. But it just feels like it lasts forever. Now it's like Thanksgiving over. We do a few things and then praying it's gone. And we're just kind of like, it's just over. It's just fast. It's not satisfying. We try to like replicate. Have you, have you ever gone back and done something like a Christmas tradition and you haven't done it in a long time? Maybe something you did as a child. You go back and you do it as an adult or you take them to see something. And you're like, that's not nearly as impressive as it was when I was... A child, I've taken my kids to some different places or some different things or some houses that have Christmas lights on them. And I go back by, I was like, I remember that being so much better than it was, you know, when I came back with them. Well, that's the way the world works, except in Christ. He's the only one that can fill the hungry heart. I want to ask you this this morning as we close. What is your heart hungry for this Christmas season? What do you want? What do you desire He's a desire to get things, and I know that hopefully in a room full of uh, somewhat mature adults, we're not just looking for what presents we get at Christmas, but what experience are you basing your satisfaction in? What Christmas time thing are you just longing for? What are we hungry for this morning? We should curb our appetite to be hungry for Christ. Because the promise of Mary's song is that He is mindful of us. He is mighty enough to give us those things. And we were hungry, He fills us with satisfaction. And we can enter this Christmas season full of satisfaction this morning. I'm going to read you this and we'll be done. So what do you think when you think about God? <clears throat> Mary might have well answered that question. God is mindful and He is mighty. 
And the truth that God is both all-caring and all-powerful made her heart rejoice. And it's a truth that causes or can cause hearts still to rejoice today. And He proved these things to us through sending His Son. Let's pray this morning and we'll be finished. Lord, as we think through the song of Mary, we thank You for it. It is difficult, though we try, it's difficult to place our minds into the experience that people may have had before You came as the Messiah, before You revealed Yourself as the Savior of the world. But I am thankful that You left this account for us, this song of Mary, to remind us this morning that You are mindful that you think of us. God, help that to change our lives. Because the truth is there are many days where we live without thinking of you when all the while you are thinking of us. How backward that really is from what it could or should be that the God of the universe has us in his attention and in his sight. But we live often with the God of the universe out of mind. And so we pray that this week and this month that we would realize that you have been mindful of us. But then help us as Mary to praise you that you are mighty. That you fill all of our satisfactions. That you change all of our physical dreams into spiritual longings that only you can fill. And I pray that this year, as this Christmas season, that we would not seek for hope in a feeling, that we would not seek for uh, enjoyment just simply in a, a circumstance or an event, that we would not solely base our happiness on whether we are with family or away from family, or that we would uh, have a joyful time or that things would line up exactly as we want, but that we would seek you and find our hungry souls filled in your goodness, in your mercy, in your mightiness, and that we would praise you for it and be a light to those in the world that need to know that God is mindful of them and that he is mighty enough to save them.